Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. My guest this week is Dustin Lee, owner of Retro Supply, a company specializing in resources for designers with a retro twist. Dustin and I sat down and talked about both Retro Supply and his company, Passive Income for Designers, as well as his path in life from initially wanting to pursue music to studying business and working at a bank to going back to school to study design and how that led him to being the go-to guy for designers wanting to learn about passive income. All right after this. Dustin, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me on. So uh, let's dive right into it. Um, where, where are you from originally? Did you grow up where you live now or are you from somewhere else? I'm originally from the Bay area, Milpitas, California. I was born in Mountain View, mm-hmm. literally like blocks from where Steve Jobs started Apple in the little garage. And when I was 12 years old, I moved up to Vancouver, Washington and lived out in the country. And, mm-hmm. uh, I've been here pretty much ever since I went back for about three years or two years, a few years ago. And, uh, mm-hmm created a failed startup, which like led to my business that I have now, which is retro supply. Gotcha. So when you were growing up, cause I know you kind of took a, you, you've taken a turn in your original career tra- trajectory. Were you an artsy kid or what type of kid were you? Yeah, I totally was. I, um, I was really into comic books when I was growing up. I remember getting the Stanley guide to drawing comic books when I was like 10 years old. And um, I had the same book. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? That was a good book. Um, so I had that. I collected Marvel cards, collected comic books. Uh, when I got a little bit older in middle school, I started studying like painting and drawing. And that led to me being invited to be part of one of the first magnet schools in the Northwest for art, which is oh, the cool. Vancouver School of Arts and Academics. And I got accepted to go there. And originally that was to, I got accepted on the basis of doing visual arts. But mm-hmm. right when that happened, I got really into Nirvana and grunge music. You know, I'm up in the Northwest. We got the coffee. We got the grunge music going. So by the time I was accepted into the school, I no longer cared a whole lot about visual arts. And I was just studying guitar, essentially. Yeah. So I said our, gu- our, our listeners can't see it, but I can see a guitar right behind you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's still guitars here. I don't play nearly as much. I kind of went back to my roots eventually uh-huh. and studied visual arts more, but I was really into music and, um, and like film and things like that. And mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be a musician for most of my high school years and early twenties. <laughs> so when you got out of high school, did you go to college? I did. I, uh, went to a community college, Clark college in Vancouver, Washington for Uh two years and got my associates. And then I, I was studying music the whole time and I applied to go to Berkeley college of music in Boston, Ah, which school. Yeah. Yeah. Huge school for music. Uh, John Mayer went there, Quincy Jones, like just like name drop some people. Anyways, like I was like impressed by this school and I'd always wanted to go there and my parents' agreement with me was if you get the grades and you get accepted, you can go to any college you want. So I got accepted to go there. And then um, my dad one morning told me that he wanted to go to IHOP to have breakfast, which was unusual for him. So I figured like there was a talk coming and we got there and I remember eating pancakes and him being like, yeah, we can't afford the you know $180,000 it costs to go to Berkeley College of Music. We didn't expect that that was where you'd want to go. And um <laughs> I had to make like a quick decision. Am I going to finance this myself and become a musician and be $180,000 in debt or not? And at this point I was accepted. I had paid, you know, for my room. I planned on going and at the very last minute I decided not to, and I decided to study business. That's, that's quite a shift from, you know, wanting to do a music career and going to you know one of the premier schools in the country for music to studying business. How, how does that transition happen? Well, I got this theory when I was thinking about, I was, you know, I'm thinking about getting this debt and it started to occur to me. I thought, I think I can teach myself to be a quality, the kind of quality of musician you would need to be, to be successful. 
But I think what holds a lot of musicians back is that they don't have any understanding of marketing or business. And as a result, they're never able to, no matter how talented they are, get themselves um, the notoriety that they deserve. So that was kind of my rationalization, at least at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I went and studied business and I'd always had a fascination with business. I always, I think in the back of my mind that I'd be working for myself in some way or another. So you had an entrepreneurial spirit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I was reading like entrepreneurial books and like Dale Carnegie books when I was like 14 years old. I always kind of had this business thing going on in my head for sure. Mm -hmm. So you go to college, you're studying business. What do you end up doing when you get out? Well, this is, so this is so dumb. So I thought, <laughs> I thought that, okay, what's more businessy? Like what's the most business thing I can do to learn all about business? Right. And I thought <laughs> like I should go work at a bank. Like that's where business happens. So I applied for a bank when, and at this, before this, I was like playing guitar at a Mexican restaurant on the river. So like I had no business background. I was a dude in a sombrero, you know, making, you know, uh, guacamole for people. And we all know how great musicians are with money. <laughs> right. <laughs> with the little money they have for the most part. Um, right. So, so I went to work in a bank because I thought that's where I learned about business. And I think that my reasoning was that I would get to see how people that actually had a lot of money made money, mm -hmm. which I did discover, but you don't learn yeah. how to run a business. They in had a, bank. a lot of money and they kept it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there is like, there is like certain things you start to notice. For instance, I noticed that the people that made a lot of money were doctors, lawyers, and business owners and real sure. estate investors. Sure. I mean, that pretty much for the most part covers it. Like you don't mm -hmm. get wealthy in any other way than that. Um, for the most part, you know, 80% of the time. So I learned a lot and I, I actually started to really geek out. Like I went to, I went to lunch with like all like the CEO and the CFO and the CMO of the bank I, the most successful customers that came in, I asked them if I could take them to lunch and I would just talk to them about business. So I did learn a lot, but I spent a lot of time just doing work that had nothing to do with making money, nothing to do with like running a business. And, uh, yeah, like drove myself almost insane working at a bank. <laughs> like, I don't recommend it. It's right for some people. It wasn't right for me. So what did you do after that? Well, I met my wife and... Uh -huh we were talking about getting married and I said, yeah, you know, of course I, I would love to get married, but just so you know, if we do, I have to totally quit my job and be jobless and go back to school and study design because I can't live my life being a banker. And I thought that she was going to be like, Oh, well that's a deal breaker. Cause it was just so crazy. Um, so did you say this hoping to stall the, uh, Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. I just knew that like, you know, like, you know how it goes, like you get married yeah. and then like you get a house and then you have kids and like next thing you know, like you just, you can't leave what you're doing because you're, you got to pay your bills. And sure. I just didn't want that to happen. So I think that I just really wanted to make sure that she knew my intentions. Like I didn't want to false advertise that I was stable because I was about to become very financially unstable. <laughs> so you quit your job, you get married, you, you go, um, did you go back to school? I did. I went, um, so at this point I have some student loan debt, you know, I have my business admin degree and mm -hmm. I had read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and got really into blogging and, uh, passive income, like the whole concept of it. Sure. And I, had originally started building web pages in WordPress and I was horrible at it. And next thing I knew, like I was like getting into illustrator and Photoshop, trying to figure out how to make like web pages. And that led me to being like, I'm actually more interested in graphic design than I am in making a blog or trying to make money from a blog. Coding, coding anything. Exactly. So yeah. next thing I know, um, I'm back at college studying graphic design with a bunch of 18 year olds. And I'm, you know, 27 years old without a job wondering half the time what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that, especially since you're newly married and, you know, got a wife and responsibilities at that point. Oh so. yeah. It, it was a really, it was a really um, scary time. I think a lot of people can relate to that in some way or another. You know, I just remember waking up a lot and thinking, what am I doing? Like, am I in a pipe dream thinking that I can just stop the job that I've had for five years and, 
I want to be a designer. Like it, it seemed just a lot of times ridiculous to me, but at the same time, like I had this thing deep inside where I could not settle for what mm-hmm. I wasn't happy doing. And in hindsight, it all worked out. But you know, when you're in the middle of it and it's not working, you seriously question what you're doing. Oh yeah. 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 That, that uh, insecurity of uh, decisions uh, can get to you a lot. Yeah. So when you finish up school, is this when you're working on the WordPress stuff or were you doing that when you were in school? I was doing this like the whole time almost I was in banking. I was, I made a horrible blog that was like a marketing blog where I was giving advice to people on marketing, even though I had no experience in marketing other than reading books <laughs> on marketing. Um, you know, most people in marketing are the same way. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just... S- says the guy who works in the marketing department for his company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I was just... I was just basically doing... I was basically doing something that everyone needs to do, which is really important. And that is screwing up. I was making mistakes in my blog. I was making... I didn't understand how to serve customers. I was just mm-hmm. doing things out of self-interest thinking that somehow that was going to make money. But I'm so glad I I did a lot of things that were very ineffective, but I'm so glad I did because I think it's just a rite of passage to succeeding. And I think anyone who's been a designer knows how it is to hustle. You have to mess up a lot. You have to do a lot of embarrassing work before you get good. Well, yeah, you learn a lot more through failure than you do for through success. Absolutely. Not that success isn't good, but you know, you, oh, you yeah. got to have something to build on and know where to make mistakes and adjust to correct things. Exactly. Success is great, but yeah, you got to <laughs> screw up. So after returning to design school and getting out of there, what do you end up doing? So I get out of design school and I, you know, I, like I said, I really want to work for myself. So I thought, well, I'll just go straight out and be a freelancer. I'm just going to be a freelance graphic designer right out of school. All I've ever done is, you know, had a portfolio in my class projects and I did what all people that go out of community college into being freelance designers do, which is look all over Craigslist for design jobs. Oh. So I did that. I did 99 designs. Uh, I did oh. spec work. Um, I mean, I did so everything you're not supposed to do. <laughs> I, I even knew I wasn't supposed to do it. But at the same time, I didn't know what to do. I was applying places, but I wasn't getting sure. any interest. And I was always like one of the stronger students in my class, but yeah. So I just spent all day. I remember waking up in the morning, get my coffee. I would go into the office that I'd made in one of the rooms in the apartment and I would just spend eight hours doing spec work and endless Craigslist jobs that were horrible where people wanted a billion revisions. (laughs) And I did that for a long time. And then eventually there were 99 designs contests that I won. I got a job in Portland at a startup as a designer. And that was my first official design job. And I did that for about five months and quit um, because I really was not happy there. Okay. And that led to probably the most important thing that ever happened in terms of my uh, entrepreneurship career. Which what, And what was that? That was... Um, so... When I first got out of school, I wrote to a lot of bloggers. These were people that were kind of related to the four hour work week and, you know, creating your own business online. I had written to all these designers and said, Hey, or all these bloggers and said, Hey, I'll do free design work for you. You know, just to get to hang out with you, to get to talk to you, to get maybe some exposure. And nobody wrote me back. No one was interested. I mean, I was knocking on doors and nobody was answering. And this, this guy, Jonathan Mead from a site called illuminated mind, I was a big fan of, he wrote me back a year later, right after I quit my job and said, Hey, do you want to do some very little job? I think it was like a cover to a blog post or something like that. Sure. And I said, yeah. And I did it. And then he offered me another piece of work and I did that. And then he said, do you want to come work with me part-time or full-time? I can't remember which, I think it was like 25, 30 hours. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, for sure. Cause this was a person that was doing exactly what I wanted to do, which was making money online with a blog. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to think maybe this didn't really happen. Like maybe people don't actually make money online. Like maybe people just pretend to make money online. And <laughs> I think a lot of people do, but <laughs> I think a lot of people do. And I started to think maybe I'm like the dude that's in the middle of the pyramid scheme and doesn't know it. 
Mm-hmm. So this was like a guy that was successful in this and he invited me into his business. And I remember when I first came on, I got to see, you know, like the Dropbox where all like the files were stored and I got to see the sales funnel and, you know, the back end of the website and like my eyes were opened. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I realized that it was totally possible to do. He was killing it, you know, making a great living doing this. And the problem was, is that I was completely wrong about what was important to make money online with that kind of business. Like I had it so wrong that I would have never figured it out. I was stumbling around in the dark. And by working with him for 18 months, I learned a lot of stuff that I could have spent 10 years trying to figure out and never figured out. And that opened up the doorway to my success. And that, and that he himself probably charges thousands of dollars to learn. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the business was teaching people how to do that. And he yeah. did charge people thousands of dollars. Um, but I will say that I always thought that the people that charge thousands of dollars for this kind of stuff, I always thought, Oh, it's, it's not worth it. But as it turns out, if you find the right person, it absolutely is worth it. Um, it really can make a difference if you find someone that's qualified. So is is that more of a case where it's, you know, you got a bunch of people who will sign up for it and it's got to be a person with the right personality who's going to follow through to make that investment worthwhile. Exactly. So this kind of ties into the, the workshop I'm doing passive income for designers at creative mm-hmm. South. Um, you- Which by the time this goes up, it will have already happened. So it went wonderfully and <laughs> it was complete. Completely sold out, uh, standing room only. It actually is looking like it might sell out. So that's really good. Um, But it's put me in a unique position for this because I got to see hundreds, if not maybe thousands of people trying to start businesses. So I had got a really good understanding of where people got tripped up. And so I have that unique insight. And so I knew when I started my own things, here's what to look out for. Like, here's what to avoid here's what's important and here's what's not. And it's very not intuitive, I think, to a lot of people what those things are. Really? Okay. So, you know, you worked there for 18 months and I'm assuming at this point you've kind of decided or figured out a little more what you want to do. Um, when you leave there, is do you jump right into Retro Supply or did you do other things in the meantime? Well, me and Jonathan Mead, who ran the site, um, or he still runs the site, it's called Paid to Exist Now, we became really good mm-hmm. friends. In fact, to this day, we're like best friends. Um, mm-hmm. And he was very supportive of me, and he was always asking me, what, you know, what do you want? What do you want out of your life? How can I help you? And I told him, you know, I want to own my own business. And so when I moved down to the Bay Area, he said, well, why don't we start a business together? And we started something called Playbook, which mm-hmm. was essentially, a, it was a marketing site that would give people recipes, if you will, to do different marketing things. So here's how to build an email list if you're a blogger. Um, here's how to do a product launch. Here's how to segment your audience. Here's how to find out the perfect product to launch to an audience. So sure. we, we start working on that. And uh, we raised, I think, like twelve dollars or $13,000 on Indiegogo to hire developers. And I was thinking at the same time, my wife, gets, my wife is pregnant with our daughter, our first daughter. Mm-hmm. So I got the pressure, right? I'm thinking I got to like start making money. I'm not making money at this point because I quit <laughs> working for him and I was working on a startup that was making zero money. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, what's well, this going to be perfect? Like we're going to get this tied up right as the baby's born and then money is just going to start flooding into my bank account and it's going to be perfect. But as that day approached, it became really clear that this might not ever make money. Like I couldn't believe it, but it, it, it was really starting to look like it might not make money. And the reason for that is because I think we hired the wrong developer. We probably didn't need to even hire a developer. We probably mm-hmm. could have done a minimum viable product with a WordPress site with a buy button. And instead, sure. we, we just made things way more complicated than it needed to be. So out of desperation, I started Retro Supply um, by waking up two or three hours early every morning and walking down to the Starbucks around the corner from my house in um, Palo Alto. And I would just go down to the Starbucks and I would make products to put on creative market. And, uh, that's how retro supply actually started. It was just a desperate way to make a little extra money before the baby was born. So you just started throwing stuff up on creative market and then it kind of started taking off or had you, had you already built out your site a little bit, like just for 
lack of a better term popping into my head, did you have a storefront for retro supply or were you just throwing stuff up on creative market and that was the only place it was? Yeah, it was just, it was just creative market. Like I said, this was just, a, I was working 50 hours a week on this startup that wasn't making any money. Mm-hmm. So all I could afford to do in terms of time was to just put stuff up on creative market. So I, I came up with some kind of weird hipster name. It wasn't even retro supply. It was just some weird, I don't even know, like Jones and deer antler or some, some weird like hipster name that didn't make any sense. <laughs> and I was putting up some logo templates and different things. And it was bringing in some money. I think at the end of the first month, it brought in $800. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, like maybe this could grow into something. And I just kept sticking with it. And yeah, 800 bucks isn't anything to turn away. It isn't. That was the most I'd ever made on my own. Um, but by the end of the next month, I had made a lot more. Um, and I, I love to tell this story. This is the day that things totally changed for me. So I was at the Starbucks sure. and I'm working on products for Retro Supply. And every time you get a sale on Creative Market, you get a little um, message on your email saying, hey, you sold the product. And so that would go to my my iPhone and tell me, you know, ding, got a sale. So I'm working and it's seven o'clock in the morning and my phone dings and I look and it's a sale. And then my phone dings again and it's a sale. And eventually it literally sounded like a um, slot machine, you know, ding, 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 ding. And every one of those dings was $8 in my bank account. And I mean, it's literally going so fast. The dings are dinging on top of each other. I threw everything in my bag and I ran home because it was around the corner because I wanted to get home while the phone was still ringing to show my wife, listen, do you hear that? Like, so I get home, I show her, I'm like, do you hear that? And she's like, yeah, what is it? And I said, this is every one of those dings is $8 in our bank account. And you got to remember we're broke at this point and we have a baby coming like literally within weeks. Yeah. That's got to be terrifying as a parent. Oh yeah, totally. I was totally just like, I was scared to death honestly. And, uh, that was amazing. By the end of that day, I had made $1,400. And by the end of that month, I had made over, I believe $14,000, which is more than I, that's a good month. That's an amazing month. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I couldn't, I honestly at first thought that it was like my mom buying my stuff over and over again because she (laughs) felt bad for me. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was like my mom and like my other relatives buying stuff because they're like, this poor kid like needs someone to help him. Uh Um, But yeah, it just did really, really well. And uh, I quickly realized that I should focus my efforts on that because I was doing mm-hmm. well at it. And um, that's where all that training that I had gotten advanced from Jonathan Mead and uh, Paid to Exist came in because I had a very strong marketing background. So I knew how to convert that traffic and interest in what I was doing into a steady business as opposed to just like one spike of sales and then everything disappears. So, so when the spike happened, were you applying that stuff to it at the time or was it just a fluke day and then yeah kind of retrocon things into oh i gotta do this now yeah it was a combination it was um well the product was unique so i had been making products before that were basically logo templates and at some point in my head i said you know they don't no one's making the kind of products i wish were out there so mm-hmm. i'm going to make what i wish i could find and so i really just made something that week i just said i'm just going to make what i really want and i made a product that that i loved And I packaged it in such a way, I came up with this idea that products that people buy that are design products should be packaged so well that they look like they could be on a shelf in a physical retail space. So I packaged it really beautifully. Um, I had a pretty good understanding of copywriting. So I included lots of stuff like tons of bullet points, tons of very specific numbers and information so people could get a really clear idea of what they're getting before and after pictures. I think I might've had some testimonials, just as many things as I could um, to stack the odds in my favor. But what really made it succeed was that creative market noticed it and they featured it because it was one of the best, good, best design goods of the week. And gotcha. that went out to their email list of, you know, hundred thousand plus at that point subscribers, mm-hmm. probably, you know, 500,000 or something now. But so, yeah, that's why it all went off at seven o'clock in the morning was because they sent their email blast out and, you know, hundred thousand plus designers are seeing this in their inbox and buying it. And, uh, yeah, so that's how it got started. So you start building 
officially then building retro supply up, how do you kind of keep, I, I mean, I know, you know, you applied that stuff that you learned with Jonathan, but how do you keep the stream coming in and spreading the word so you can grow it at that point? Yeah, well, I guess that's a, there's a, it's a, it was a two pronged approach. The first thing was, I knew I wasn't the best designer, but I knew that I could beat a lot of designers in consistency. So I decided I'm going to make something and put it out every single week, same day, same time something comes out. And if I do that for long enough, eventually at the end of a year, I'm going to have what, like 52 products. So I decided I'm going to consistently make stuff. So I'm going to consistently get my name out there. And I was featured very prominently week after week after week, especially in the early days of creative market, because the competition wasn't nearly as um, stiff because there was not nearly as many shop owners. Um, and at one point, I think like half the homepage of Creative Market was retro supply products. Like I have a screen, oh, wow. I have a screenshot somewhere. It was crazy. Um, but then the other key thing I did was early on, I realized that I couldn't count on Creative Market for my traffic. Um, very much in the same way where people say, "Don't build your business on Facebook or Twitter because Facebook or Twitter can, you know, could wipe you out," or don't build it all on Google Google searches because they could change the algorithm and all of a sudden you don't have any traffic. So I knew the best way to do that was to build an email list. So there's a little area on creative market where you have a bio and most people use that bio to basically say, my name is Dustin and I like to drink coffee and I have two kids and my favorite band is, uh, you know, I don't know, Barry Manilow, whatever. Well, instead of, instead of that, what I had done... That's the name that pops in your head when you're referencing something? <laughs> trying to be ironic a little bit there. <laughs> it's retro supply. Sure you were. Sure you were. All right, you caught me. Um, so instead of doing that, what I did is I used that area as a way to drive traffic to my own site, um, basically by saying get nine best-selling goods free by clicking this link. And then I put a bit.ly link in, and that led you to a page on my site where you could sign up for my email list. And in exchange for that, I would give you a bunch of free products. And that gotcha. quickly grew my list to like, I think today. Which, thank you, by the way, I have those products. <laughs> Do you? Cool. Yeah, I'm about to update it too. I'm actually going to turn, turn it into a whole course, but. um, Cool. But yeah, so that has driven a lot of traffic. And now I think my email list is 15,000, which is a fairly small list um, for most businesses, but for just a single person in a, in a niche like I am in. Um, that, yeah, for a niche market, that's a pretty good size list though. Yeah, for a niche, it's a pretty good size list and it's it's active. They say that um, anything I think below 20% or below something like that is like bad for open rate. So if you don't have 20% of your list opening your emails, it's an unhealthy list. And my open rates tend to be around 35, 37%. So it's also like a, an active list. A lot of people yeah. are opening the emails and clicking on things and are curious about what's going on, which is a positive thing too. Cool. So, you know, with that, you've ended up teaching some workshops. You're going to be teaching the workshop at Creative South or, well, past tense. You will have taught the second of your workshops <laughs> at Creative South. Right. Because you taught there last year as well. Um, you know, was that how did that come about of wanting to spread the word about um how you can do it from yourself i mean I, I imagine some of that directly relates back to working at paid to exist and all that and seeing how they did it but also was there something else motivating you behind that yeah there was a couple different things going on so um one was i wanted to expand into different businesses Sure. Um, so I didn't have all my eggs in one basket. Two was I met Lenny, Lenny Trenzi, uh-huh. Pay Monkey Design, and he was buying a lot of my stuff. And then he basically threw, threw it in my lap, literally. He was like, do you want to speak at Creative South or do a workshop? And I was like, are you kidding? Like, seriously? It's like, yeah, uh-huh. I'd love to do that. Um, so that was part of it. And I kind of had some experience beforehand because Creative Market had reached out to me and said, would you mind writing articles for shop owners on how to make uh-huh. better products? And at first I was really scared to do that because I don't want to teach other people how to do this because maybe that means I don't make as much money or maybe that means that I teach these people on creative market, for instance, and then they go make the same things as me, but better. And 
I don't make any more money. So I was scared at first. And then I, someone gave me a good piece of advice. They said, you know, people are going to learn or get better than you, whether you help them or not. So Mm -hmm. you can either be, uh, for lack of a better word, selfish and keep it to yourself and they'll figure it out anyways, or you can be someone that gives back to the community. And that was like a big shift in my mindset. And once I got over that, once I got like through that kind of barrier of like feeling like there wasn't enough success to go around, it just like Uh changed things. And then I got really excited about sharing with people how to do it because I remember sharing some of these ideas with people and some designers were following it and started making money online. And it's amazing. You know, people were telling me things like I'm so frustrated because I have to take all these freelance projects on that I hate because I need to pay my bills. And I just wish I could just pick the ones that I love, but I have to take whatever I can get. Right. I know that feeling. Yeah. Well, almost every designer does. And I remember having some people that took the course and they said, you know, since I've done that, like it's just five or 700 extra dollars a month, but that means I can turn down a job that I hate. And in, in exchange for that, I can spend that time working on a personal project or I can just be more selective with stuff. Um, so I think that was like a really exciting thing to see designers get out of that. And plus they were able to save some more money. Some kept on taking, you know, were already happy with how much they were making from freelance jobs and stuff, but they were just wanted to be able to save more. Like they were in debt. Like I was $35,000 in debt when I started, um, retro supply. And I was able to pay that off within a year. And I wanted that for other people. And when you hear about people making enough money where they're not in the red at the end of the month, you know, being a designer can be expensive. You spend, yeah. people are like, well, how do you, you know, clients will always be like, how can you charge so much? That seems outrageous. Well, you're spending all this time not getting paid anything to promote yourself, to get yourself out there. Mm-hmm. And you've got to make up for that somehow. Right. So I think that it just was really inspiring to see people be able to break free of that and realize that there's other options out there for them. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what got me interested in is because, I mean, I've got way too many student loans to count. And, you know, not that I've been great on my follow through, but that's more of a life getting in the way and me not me not making enough time to do that sort of thing. But I, I am aware of it. But, you know, it, it really got me interested because you know, I saw you talk about it and I, I, I did not attend your workshop. I will be honest with that. I was, I don't remember if it was before I was getting in that day or if it was at the same time, another workshop that I was going to, that I could at least justify to my job (laughs) to pay for, for me. (laughs) 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 I don't know how open they would be to um, me learning how to make money on the side. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. So, um, you know, but I don't remember if I ran into you or if I ran into somebody who had talked to you um, and they kind of, it was just a quick layout and I, of what you were talking about and what passive income was. Cause I really, I had heard of it before, but I didn't have that much of an understanding. And then when I heard of it and then you started offering your course online, the little trial course, you know, that you did on Gumroad, um, you know, I, I jumped at it just because, A, it was an easy price point where I didn't feel like if I didn't get anything out of it, I was, you know, going to lose my shirt or <laughs> kick myself. Right. And and it did. It very much did turn on that light where I was like, oh, I can do that. That's not, I mean, it's a lot of work. And I think, you know, I, I do think passive income is a misnomer a lot of times because oh. there's there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's not like you just sit back and do nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely, um, I actually thought about calling it something else, but I think that the word passive income is so compelling and it communicates the general idea of not trading your time for money in the sense that you do with a freelance job. Right. Build it once, sell it a thousand times. Right. Yeah. So it kind of communicates the idea, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not truly 100% passive. I mean, you make the product, you put it out there, it sells for a long, long time, but you've got to do customer support for people. You've got to do updates. Um, you've got to talk to people about partnerships to increase sales. Um, the main difference being exactly what you said, that you're not selling your time to a client one time. Right. Right. 
So, well, let's talk about the partnerships because I know, especially recently within probably past year to six months, you've had partnerships with a lot of fairly prominent people that I've seen come out. Um, you know, one of them, you did a brush pack with Von Glitchka, who's, you know, I think everybody knows who Von is and right. or has heard of him in some way. So that's, that's an interesting thing. How did those come about? That was creative. That was creative South. That was uh, really totally just a blessing from creative South. So uh, we're both from um, Northwest and I, we flew on the plane the whole way there and the whole way back together. And we just hit it off and got along well. And he kept in communication with me. And a couple months after we got back, he was like, I got this pack. You want to release it? And so we've released stuff and some has done really well. Other things haven't, um, certainly not because of his talent, but just because you learn there's some things people want more than other things, but that's been amazing. Um, I've done a partnership with, uh, Brad Woodard of brave the woods, um, mm -hmm. Amy hood of Hoodspa design co, um, okay pants, all sorts of them. And those have been amazing because I'm getting to work with people who are really my heroes Sure, And it's valuable to the community in the sense that it's these people are so busy that they don't have time to make creative market shops or make websites and sell design goods. Like they're too busy, like doing awesome projects that we all dream of, <laughs> you know? Um, so mm -hmm. what's cool about it is I've been able to get some really great designers who otherwise might not have released things like this and say, I'll pay you or, you make it and we'll do a, a split. However, we end up make, making this work. Let's get something out from you that you otherwise wouldn't be able to put out. So people can experience how cool a product would be from you because I have no illusions of being the best designer. These designers, you know, <laughs> do circles around me night and day. So having people like that, that are so talented on is just a cool way of kind of upping the quality. Yeah, I, I think that I'm the same way. I'm I'm well aware that I'm a mediocre designer at best. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's seriously like a great strength, you know. Like to, I mean, some people there's always going to be people better than us, right? And right, the smartest thing I think we can do is just try to find what we're best at and focus on that, and where we're not, get the best people we can around us to make us look awesome. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think for me, my knowing it is, I know I'm not a great designer, but I know that my strength and weakness are both the same thing is I've bounced around in a lot of different industries. So I'm kind of a jack of all trades. I've done, you know, I've done digital, I've done some video, I've done plenty of print. Um, you know, everywhere I've worked, I've been on the marketing side of it. So it's marketing strategies and all that. So, you know, in one way, that's a great strength because I know how to do a little bit now. Right. So I can communicate with people when it needs to be done. It's a huge strength. Yeah. 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 On, on the downside of that is I've never specialized in one area to get good enough at it to be considered an expert in that one area. Right. Absolutely. I'm the same way. Like I don't have the patience to be a great illustrator. No, I just don't, you know, I see people do it and I mean, they live and breathe it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I don't care that much about being a good illustrator. And I fought that forever trying, I felt like I had to be a good illustrator. And then one day I realized I don't care at all about being a good illustrator. So let's just find some good illustrators and have them do that part of the job instead of making myself miserable that I'm not a good illustrator. My, my wife and I were literally just talking about that the other day in relation to the passive income stuff that we want to do. Um, you know, uh, cause she was talking about, you know, I want to do these illustrations and all, but it was, she likes the theory of illustration and like, it seems like it'd be a lot of fun to do, but she's well aware that it's not her biggest strength. So she gets really frustrated when she can't, you know, go from point A to point B in a clear shot. There's, you know, a lot of different steps in between. So we were trying to figure out with, in relation to what we want to do, is that really the best avenue for us? Well, you know, here's, it, here's the really cool part about that. I want to comment on that because I think a lot of people sure. feel like, well, if I'm not the best at this, I can't make money doing it or I can't make a passive income doing this or a side business. But for instance, with your wife, you mentioned that she's not a great illustrator, but she loves the whole kind of theory behind it. And she loves mm -hmm. probably maybe reading about it and mm -hmm. seeing how other people are doing it. And then she has her attempts at it and they probably don't do as well as you know, people like Vaughn do or something like that. Oh yeah. But there's so many other people in that boat that you can be where they are and say, Hey, I'm not a great illustrator, but I love mm -hmm. illustration and I'm on a journey and I'm going to share the journey with you. 
And mm-hmm. by posting that and saying, here's what I learned. Here's something I picked up from this person. Here's this thing. Here's how this worked for me. By sharing that, um, that's really attractive to people, especially people that are learning. Oftentimes, they're more drawn to people that are more like themselves than um, you know the best illustrator in the world. Right. Um, a great example of this is uh, I think of someone like Chris Spooner from Spoon Graphics. Mm-hmm. So he's a fantastic designer. Um, but oftentimes you just feel like it's not, he's not, you know, he's not um, the world's greatest designer, but he's a fantastic designer. And he just, he's made a full living out of sharing how he does stuff. So he writes an article right. and says, Hey, you know, that like cool thing that we keep seeing, like this cool trend, whatever that may be, I figured out how to do that. So let me share with you how to do that. And he's sharing with you his learning process of how he learned to build something <laughs> And everyone's drawn to it. And, and it's, he's a, he's a, he's a great designer, but that's not why people are coming. They're becoming because he's sharing his knowledge. Right. So I think that for anyone that thinks, well, I'm not a good enough designer to do a certain thing or make a passive income. It, I don't think that's true. I think that if you're willing to be vulnerable and share where you're at and share information, you can be really, really successful. Well, I think if, I, I think if you approach it from the yeah, you might not be a great illustrator, but if, like you said, if you're sharing your process, that's the compelling part. You may not ever make a dime off your illustrations, but if you are able to market yourself with that process of how you're trying to learn the things, it shows other people how they can get there. And then somebody eventually gets to that point. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think when you realize that it frees you up so much to feel like so much more is possible. Another example of that is, I'm not a great illustrator, but I, um, I love the idea of doing like retro children's book inspired illustrations, but sure. I don't want to learn yeah, like the fifties, exactly fifties era stuff. Yeah. Like golden book style stuff. So I yeah. had a friend, Brad Woodard, and I said, Hey, I'd really love to do a pack like this, but I can't illustrate like you can. How about this? I'm really good at making brushes and you're really good at drawing and illustrating, but you don't know how to make brushes. So why don't I make the brush tool presets and you try them out and you be brutally honest about how well they're working for you. And Mm -hmm. I will keep, you know, refining them, making them better. And that was the partnership, you know, essentially we'd get on Skype calls for six, seven hours at a time. And I would just grind through brushes and he'd be like, yeah, that's, that's no good. That's no good. Not that one. And they'd be like, yeah, keep that one. And eventually after like 25 hours of doing that, you end up with 20 brushes that are great. And he does these amazing illustrations with it and includes tutorials. And I get to have the fulfillment of helping to be part of a product with cool illustrations in it. And I'm associated with the product. And that to me feels just as rewarding as if I was to have drawn it. Yeah. He, he's your beta tester and then he's able to build something that, yeah, you can see the fruits of your labor. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. That, that is really cool. So you know, moving forward, when we were before we were on air, we were kind of talking about how you're trying to I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it. You were trying to figure out how to turn the teaching side of it and the workshop side of it into a business and monetize that. Um, you know, what advice do you have since we were just talking about that for people who are looking to figure that side of it out? Who are the fig- <laughs> or are you sure yet? <laughs> are, you t- are you talking about like how to make money from something like say passive income for designers? Yeah. 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 So I actually have a, a really good um, understanding or I think I do. I haven't proven it by making a lot of money by doing this, but I think I have an understanding from my previous background. So mm-hmm. I noticed really early on that if I like making money, creating my own products and not working for clients. I bet a lot of other designers do too. And as it turns out, they do like yeah. more people than I ever imagined. I don't, I don't know why I just shook my head vigorously on an audio only <laughs> format. It was only you could see that. Nobody else can hear it. <laughs> That's despite what my, despite what my dad would tell me that I had rocks in my head. I don't. <laughs> So you can't hear that. Well, that's a response you get from people. Like anytime I mention it, for instance, last year, the um, workshop sold really well. This year, it looks like mm-hmm. it's going to fill up. I have the website, PassiveIncomeForDesigners.com. That gets mm-hmm. a lot of traffic with only, it's only been around for like six weeks. It gets a lot of traffic. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of email signups. And it's because people want to know how to do this. And sure. designers are good at designing. They're not good at 
making passive income. I mean, that's not what they signed up to do. They're designers. Right. So you've got a skill that can make them a lot of extra money, you know, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, or you have people like, you know, Kyle Webster or um, Retro Supply or some other people, I can name a bunch of people who are making mm -hmm. one, you know, a hundred, 200. Um, I know a girl who made just hit over a million dollars. Um, so people, that's good money. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can make a million dollars on the side selling, you know, design products. That's pretty good. So I think in general, if you can provide people with a clear cut path to doing that themselves, then people are willing to pay for that. And I think that if you can show them, prove to them that you have a proven way of doing that, that will, if they follow it, well, they'll be successful. Um, I think people mm -hmm. will pay for that. And that's essentially what passive income for designers is. It's about giving a ton of value away for free. And then if you mm -hmm. want to get into the real nitty gritty behind the scenes, you know, I hold your hand step by step to do things. That's where eventually there'll be some sort of product that will um, be a paid product that will give you, you know, really, really one-on-one -on -one access where we're walking through it together and getting you there. Um, sure. But of course you want to provide a service to everyone to help people. So you, you know, give your best stuff away for free as well. So yeah. it can help everybody. Well, so to be able to do that though, you've got to have really good communication skills, which I think a lot of designers don't think that they have. I mean, even though we're in a communications industry where you have to, they're not necessarily the best verbal communicators all the time. Um, so they look at that as a weakness and that holds them back. How do you, um, I mean, I don't know if you have ever dealt with that, but that's, you know, something I'm constantly struggling with is, and that's part of the reason I, you know, decided to do the podcast is I don't think I'm always the best communicator. I don't, I, I while I know what something is in my head of how I'm trying to explain it, when I try to explain it in layman's terms, I have to fight through all of that years of speaking the design ling language and knowing the lingo and then I don't want to say dumb it down, but speak it in plain language. And I don't always do a good job of that. How do you kind of get through that? I think like anything, um, you educate yourself in practice. So for instance, like there's books that I recommend that anyone reads who gets into trying to sell things online. One is scientific advertising. Mm -hmm. Um, there's another one that's escaping me right now, but there's a lot of classic books on copywriting and copywriting. Um, most designers will be familiar with that term, but copywriting is all about talking in plain English to people. Like you're sure. saying, you know, no, no, no buzzwords, no technical jargon. It's about talking really plainly and simply. And there's also things you can do to make it even easier to do that. For instance, there's a app called Hemingway you can download to your computer and when you mm. say you're typing a description of a product that you're, you know, you want to sell as you type in Hemingway, it will highlight sentences that are too long because when we're communicating through sentences, you know, describing our product, um, people for the most part, um, understand things at a seventh, eighth grade level, um, ideally mm. like sixth grade. So when you start getting to like 12th grade college level, people get confused so like this app, sure. for instance, will like warn you when you're going beyond a very simple length of sentences and when your words are getting too long. Um, another, so that's kind of a way of teaching yourself by using an app. Um, okay. Another way, thing that helps a lot is to record yourself. So something that I used to do is I would just record myself talking about a product and then I would dictate what I had said down because oftentimes the way we talk is much easier to understand than the way we write. It's like all of a sudden when we write, sure. we start getting really confusing. Um, whereas when we talk to each well, other, we yeah, talk much simpler. People tend to use more formal language when they write than when they speak. Exactly. So like, that's a great hack, you know, just record yourself talking about your product and then dictate that. And then right away, 90% of the time, it will be better writing when you do that. Or find a really good uh, transcription service to have it do for you. Yeah, which I've done. I literally have done that. Um, and then bullet points are your friends too. People love bullet points. 
we'll we'll talk after this because I want I need to get a transcription service for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's a great one. Like literally, it's very affordable and uh, they have a great turnaround time. Yeah, awesome, cool. So you know, moving past that, you're you know you're trying to not only do retro supply as the brushes and illustrations and all that, and then build it out as passive income for designers as a course. Um, what else is on the horizon for you? What are your hopes? Good, and <laughs> good question. Um, well, I have some other like projects in the work. One is called Fizzle Stock. That's mm-hmm. that's just getting going, and um, I'm going. I, I love the stuff that's on. Thanks, there. man. Yeah, it's it's a really cool idea, and it's been surprisingly hard to implement um, because the technology almost begs for like a developer or something like that, which is something I've been sure. burned by in the past. So I'm avoiding, but like fizzle stock <laughs> is essentially, I got, um, IP, an IP lawyer and I found all sorts of this great retro stock images. And basically they went through and they grade it, um, mm-hmm. on its likelihood of being, um, legal to use basically. <laughs> so I spent a lot of money going through these images, having them checked out. And it's a library of all these images that are um, as much as you can for something that's, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old, 100 years old. Um, of course, once you hit like 80 something years old, it's in the public domain, at least in the United States. Yeah, I was about to say, isn't it like 70 years past the person's death or something like that? It is. Um, is it, it is. but Or is it just 70 years past? I don't know the exact amount. I know it's like after their death, but it, it varies by country. So that's only the United States. Yeah. It can be different in different countries. Um, that person might've passed away, but you don't know if they sold the rights to it to a third party and that person is still alive or their family inherited it. There's oftentimes weird paper trails going on. So you have to investigate all that. But anyways, fizzle stock is selling all this cool, um, retro artwork, which that's another cool thing I'm doing. Um, other than that, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. I, uh, the, the passive income for designers, I think has been the most fulfilling, um, on mm-hmm. an emotional level to get emails from people talking about, you know, kind of like you said, like you, you purchased the, that really simple product and the light turned on and you were kind of like, there's a possibility here. I mean, that for me, mm-hmm. like means a lot, you know, even if you took nothing away from it other than the fact that I'm convinced that it can be done. I mean, that's a yeah. massive step. Just believing that is such a huge oh, yeah. step to success. So I get a lot of fulfillment out of that, which is awesome. And then I'm just like working on trying to be a good dad. <laughs> and you've got what? Two kids now? I got two little girls. Yeah. Gotcha. How old are they? Uh, two and a half, three in August. And uh, then I have a five month old. Oh, so still not sleeping through the night completely. No. Our, in fact, our, our daughter sleeps with us. Our two and a half year old sleeps with us. And um, for the past couple of years, I've slept on the very sliver edge of the bed. Even on a even on a king size bed, <laughs> I, I remember those days. Uh, my my kids, at least one of them, was always in bed until they were about five and a half. Yeah, and always. and they don't and just think about sleeping in a way that's comfortable for anyone. She basically makes a gigantic X out of herself, or she'll sleep uh-huh. completely um, horizontal. horizontal, like creating like an H. So you have me and my wife, and then her yeah. creating an H, essentially taking up three times as much of the bed as we are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For someone who's three times smaller <laughs> exactly. than you. Or laying on top yeah. of the covers and then you can't pull them over yourself. So yeah, I guess you just get used yeah. to it. You're like, this. I guess this is my life now. <laughs> yeah, very much so. It's a rewarding life. Oh, it's though. amazing. It totally is amazing. Yeah. Until the day that they learn to drive and then it's probably terrifying. Oh, let's not talk about that. You, have, you don't have... Um, I've got no. Mine aren't that old. My, I've got twin seven-year-olds. Oh, okay. So I'm. I, I still got a long time before Those that. Those are boys. And, Boys, uh, yeah, identical. So they are, um, they are seven going on seventeen. Unfortunately, right now there's a there's a lot of attitude going on. <laughs> yeah, especially the later in the evening it gets. Oh yeah, yeah. That's one thing I've learned a lot from um, my daughters is that sleeping and hunger really affect you. I mean, you see it in your kids, but it's mm-hmm. made me start thinking lots of times. For instance, I was working on releasing a product today, and even though I know it has to get done, I'll just stop and be like, I need to take a nap. 
because I know when I wake <laughs> up from this nap and after I have a good meal, I'm going to be so much more productive. I'll probably get done in 30 minutes what would normally take me three hours if I kept pushing when I'm exhausted, hungry. Oh, yeah, because you're, you're tired, you've, your blood sugar's low, you're not thinking straight. Those, those Snickers ads that went out are not entirely wrong. I mean, I know they're an exaggeration of it, but it's... Oh, yeah. You can see a definite personality change. And it's a de- I think it's a designer trait because if you know, like, have you ever been there where you're working on a project and you know the oh, most yeah, healthy yeah. thing you could do would be to stop and go to bed and you would probably solve uh-huh. a problem with a fresh mind in the morning in five minutes and instead you grind until two in the morning and yeah. I've, I've gotten better with it. The, the one I'm worst on though, and I still do it, is with the podcast here. It's I will be up until 3.30 in the morning when I'm like, if I had gone to bed and got up at 4.30 in the morning, I would have gotten more sleep and been able to get it done quicker. Meanwhile, I'm punchy and trying to do stuff. And it's inevitably on the days when I'm like trying to record a intro or something like that. So it's just talking into a void. Yeah. <sighs> I just started my podcast. So I so know that feeling. It's, yeah, I still haven't gotten used to it. Man, it's actually, it's like almost therapeutic to hear. You're, I think you're the first podcaster that I've talked to. Um, about mm. podcasting it's therapeutic yeah. <laughs> to hear someone else say it's man it can get tolling on the seventh time of repeating the same thing on an intro to yourself because you keep getting stuck or lost on your words um yeah the one that aggravates me the most is when i ha- i know i've got like an almost perfect take going <laughs> and then all of a sudden like my mouth just starts to water so you can like hear it smacking and yeah. it's like oh why you couldn't have just stayed a little dry for two seconds longer. Do you, do you find, like, I found this to be a an insightful, when I can step away from it, it's an insightful exercise <laughs> because I've learned, for instance, I say um and ah and so a lot. I So and you know are my... Yeah, or smacking, like lots of times I'll make a, a smack with my mouth. Uh-huh. And you just notice all these little habits you have in your speaking and it makes you much more sensitive to them. So like even talking to you today, uh, I'm sure Uh people can find ums and ahs and so's all over the place, but I try very, very hard to avoid them and to be quiet if I don't know what I'm saying, because they're just fillers while you're trying to get your brain going. Right. I do the same thing. And with the, so it's, it's that, filler to get the brain going but it's also an easy way to soften an intro to what could be a weird question so it's <laughs> right like i just did there it's it's finding that way to balance it of well no it you sh- and you're like in your head thinking of what you're going to be saying while you're trying to say it and end up talking over yourself and it gets very confusing there's so much to it yeah i always thought that interviewing was this really easy thing that anyone could do and now that I've done it, I realize you've really got to dig it out of people. You got to get people talking about what's relevant really quick and you have to know how to stop them, which is so hard. That's the harder part. It's not, it's the, that's the harder part for me. It's not getting somebody to talk about it. I mean, there've been a few that have been a little painful, <laughs> but, um, um, it's the, it's the, knowing where to stop them because you know you want to listen and you're intrigued but at the same time it's like well they're starting to ramble and you know i need to ask something else and i want to ask this follow-up question that but you don't want to be so like in thinking of what's going to happen next of what you're going to say next that you stop listening yeah it's very tricky but isn't it awesome though i feel like i'm getting like oh it really i'm getting like an education on all these things i didn't even know existed until i heard my own voice or heard myself having a oh, conversation. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's completely amazing. Yeah. So it is. So anyone listening to this part, do a, do a podcast be just, for six months. It will change your life. Yeah, very much so. It's, uh, it's building that up. Cause I know I've, you know, I think you're like number 22 or 23 that I've recorded. It's amazing. Um, but I've only put out eight so far. Oh, wow. So it's... You're releasing multiple ones of these a week? No, one a week. Oh, wow. So I, so I made a very conscious decision of I knew if I did not jump in and start doing it right away, I would find a way to procrastinate and put it off, which I still am really good about doing with the editing of it. Right. 
because that's my least favorite part of it. But it's. Yeah, so I started off the first couple weeks I was recording like three a week and then that just it was taking way too much time away from my family. Oh, yeah. So I started now I only record twice a week. Um, sometimes I only record once a week. But I have the luxury now that I've got all these banked that if I need to skip a week, like Creative South week, I'm not recording anybody because I'm leaving Wednesday to head up there. I want to spend that weekend with my kids because they're not coming with me. Um, so I'm just not recording anybody that week. Yep. I've got the same thing. I so, have like, I think like four or five in the in the bank so I can put them out when I want or I can do new ones where I just talk. Sometimes I like to just explain something. But something that kind of just to, to kind of tie it back to the passive income thing, something that's really interesting about it sure. is I think a lot of people when they do the passive income um, thing or anything they're uncomfortable with, they're afraid of looking bad. So I know when I first wanted to put up a passive income product or it was just a design product for sale, right? I was afraid that as soon sure. as I put it out, designers would say, oh, you suck. Like, you know, who do you think you are to be putting out products? Like, you're not even a good designer. Like, I thought all these horrible things would happen. And I put yeah. it out. It wasn't the perfect product. But no one ever said that. People, you know, there's a lot of people out there. You think that you're not as good as you are and you forget that there's so many people that are not at the level that you're at. Even if you're not the best, mm. there's a lot of people that are struggling to make, you know, logos or struggling to do this certain thing in Photoshop. And right. those are the people that buy the products, not, you know, the right. superstar celebrity designers or whatever that would know how to do this. So I noticed yeah. no one said that. And I had forgotten that because I've done this for so long now that I don't really have problems making products, but making the podcast. Right was very interesting because I sucked at so much stuff. I didn't understand how to edit. I didn't, I never opened Adobe audition. I didn't know how to hook a podcast up to iTunes. I didn't realize <laughs> how much I said, ums, ahs and clicks and rambled and all sorts of things. And I made a really ugly site. I mean, it's not that ugly, but it's not great. Passive income for designers.com is a decent looking site, but I guess my point is there were so many things that I didn't do perfect and it got me getting out there and being uncomfortable again. Cause that's a big part of it. When you're releasing something, you've got to say, I'm, it's, I'm okay with being embarrassed. Um, and designers have this sickness where as a designer, we want to tweak things and make things perfect. And wow. by its very nature, you can't do that when you're trying to get things out the door and release them because they're not going to be perfect because until, until, until people tell you, what's wrong with it or what they're missing, you don't know. So if I could tell anyone to anyone that wants to start selling products, it would be put things out there and be okay with it not being perfect. It's okay that you're a designer and the kerning's not perfect. Get it out the door and then just listen to what people say and fix that and you will be rewarded for it. Well, yeah, that's the beauty of it is you can you can fix almost anything with feedback. Yeah, absolutely. And everything's digital these days for the most part. It's not like, you know, 250,000 flyers are going to print. You can go online and change it if someone tells you that your kerning was stupid. Oh, yeah. I mean, even with the podcast, I've put one up that I realized there was a problem with it. And I pulled it down and put it back up and, it you know posted right back and nobody ever knew the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I did one and I released it in stereo. So voices were coming out of left and right ear when people talked. Ah, so you had a, you had one person in one channel, one person in the yeah, other I channel? Yeah, I didn't mix it to mono. So it was stereo ah. left and right, and I screwed up. And people said, hey, this is a great podcast, but could you please not release these in stereo? <laughs> <laughs> but that's how you learn. So I felt like it's great. It's fine. Yeah. You need to check my settings to make sure that I'm doing that right. <laughs> Well, cool. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So where can people um, find you online? Yeah. So there's a couple places. So if you want to see how I built my design shop that I've made a full-time living off of, uh, paid off my debt with, bought my first house with, you can go to www.retrosupply.co. And that's the site that brings in most of my income. You can also mm -hmm. find me on creativemarket.com under retrosupply. Or if you want to learn about doing this yourself and building a passive income for your own design business or freelance business, you can go to PassiveIncomeForDesigners.com. And I actually have some free training. You can go to PassiveIncomeForDesigners.com forward slash free dash training. 
And I have a video and a scoring sheet to help you come up with your first profitable passive income idea. So I'll actually help you figure out how to pick the right idea that will make money in the time it takes to drink a cup of coffee. Awesome. And if someone wants to abuse you on Twitter, are you on there? I am. Yeah. If you want to uh, abuse me on Twitter, you can find me at, at Hey Dustin Lee um, mm-hmm. or at Retro Supply CO. Awesome. So we end every podcast by saying go out and hug some necks. So would you take us out? Uh, yeah. You want me to say that? <laughs> okay. Yep. yep go, that's- go out and hug some necks, people. <laughs> thanks, Dustin. I appreciate you taking the All time. Right, thanks a lot. Weapons of Mass Creation is this week, and I'll be doing the podcast live from the State Theater, Saturday, from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The only way you'll get to see or hear the Creative South podcast live is if you're at WMC Fest. You're in luck, though. There are still tickets available, and through the magic of the interwebs, you can get yours directly through the link in the show notes to this episode. But that's not all. When you buy your tickets from the Creative South podcast, you'll get not one, but two tickets. That's buy one, get one free tickets. Now you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Or you may ask yourself, how can you practically give away tickets? This deal is too good to be true. Well, I'll tell you, I have no idea. But I do know this deal is exclusive to the Creative South podcast listeners. So get your buy one, get one free weapons of mass creation tickets before they are all gone. You can find out more about Dustin on Twitter at HeyDustinLee or over at RetroSupply.co and PassiveIncomeForDesigners.com. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter at CreativeSOPod and follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CreativeSouthGA or over at CreativeSouthGA.com. And I'm at JFrostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. We're looking for sponsors. If you want to sponsor the Creative South podcast to help keep the lights on and to make the podcast even better, then email me at jason at creativesouthga.com or hit me up on Twitter at creativesopod. If you want to engage with the podcast more, check out a new podcasting app called Remarks that allows you to add notes and comments about the episodes, get feedback from other listeners, and hear from me as well. You can find it over at remarks.fm. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.